in about verse 28. And let's just take it verse by verse as he speaks here. And you know this now. Uh, maybe it maybe it ought to be said. If he says it here in Romans chapter 8, the rest of the book's in agreement with what's written right here. So if I've got a verse in John chapter 3 and I say, wait a minute, that ain't what it says in John chapter 3, that's contradictory. No, that can't be the case. If it's written plain here, John chapter 3 agrees with this as well. It does. Uh, so let's look as it's written here in Romans chapter number 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. So we're talking about again now sufferings and afflictions in the flesh here. And he says we're confident of this. Not only do we have the hope of eternal redemption from the trouble that's of this life, we have the Holy Ghost that abides with us day by day to strengthen and encourage and to guide us into the truth. And I think of this often, pray this often, Lord, help us to have a sober mind. Not one polluted with the thinking of the world or of the flesh or of man, but God, help us as we look, as we think, to think according to Your Word and according to Your will. I believe that would be a wonderful thing. The Spirit is there to guide me into that truth, to keep me where I ought to be, and to be my companion in sufferings. And not only that... But the Spirit is there to help me to pray. Because we don't know what to pray for as we ought. We know what we want. But is that always the right thing? I mean, for me, I, I can look back on things that I wanted and maybe even prayed for to an extent and look back and I'm glad the Lord didn't answer a lot of my foolish prayers. So the Lord knows what's good. The Spirit knows what's good because God and the Spirit, they are one in this Trinity, and they agree together always. They have one will, one desire, one work that they're accomplishing. They are one. It's a beautiful thing. And so the Spirit guides me in prayer, even in that that I don't know. He's there to guide me. And we also know this in verse 28, that God's in control of everything, and guiding it to the good unto them that love God. Now you got a toehold there to say, well, we love God and that's why. But we've already heard read this morning that if there is love for God, it's because God first had love for us. He's going to answer that question more in the next verses anyway. But a, a hope in the Word of God that you can cling to is that God is without fail in control and guiding everything that's going on. And to those that He's redeemed, that He loved first when we didn't love, to those that He's plucked out of sin and saved, He's working all things to their good. Though all things may not be good, in the end, He's working to their good. To them who are the called according to His purpose. So called, invited, or appointed. And they were called not according to me, not according to man, not according to the church, not according to the preacher, not according to the family, but they were called according to the purpose of God. It was God's purpose to call them into this love and redemption. In Ephesians, we'll look just, just for a second to that that would support what we're reading. According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, 
according to the good pleasure of His will. This is not according to what I've done in my life. It's not according to where I go to church. It's not according to what, how moral that I am. But the calling is according to the predetermined will and purpose of Almighty God. And the picture that you're seeing here is that God, in His foreknowledge, looking down through the ages of time, saw beforehand a people that He determined and purposed to redeem. Now that's what you're seeing by the Scripture that we have here. They are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. So you got another toehold here. Another place to argue. And say, well, now wait a minute. He foreknew. What did He foreknow? And this is what you hear. He foreknew that I would believe. He foreknew that I would do good. Well, did you do good? And did you believe? Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now there's where we were. And then, but God, who is rich in mercy, the love of God calls us out of that kingdom of darkness, out from under the prince of the power of the air, into this salvation of the Son of God. And the good works now, verse 10, this is Ephesians 2, verse 10, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So for me to stand before you and say, God saved me because He foreknew that I would make a good teacher. That don't sound right even to your ears, does it? Because you see the truth, I would have never taught if He didn't appear. The truth is God saves... And God makes out of this lump that's lost and wicked and rebellious, God makes a vessel according to His purpose. Does He not choose the preachers, the teachers? Does He not equip and give the ability to those that the job might be done? So all of the glory then is to God. That's an important thing to always remember. Where's the glory going? If I believe this, who's getting glory for this? If God foreknew I was good, then I've got something to glory in. That can't be right. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. If you'll remember that, that'll establish you in what's true and what's not. If you'll remember that, I'm telling you, that, that verse... It's what brought me to the truth. It is, that verse. So, whom He did foreknow in His infinite foreknowledge, a God that knows and that sees all things, not just that's happening now, but from the very beginning, God declared what the end was going to be. God saw it beforehand. You can look at the prophets you can look at God speaking to Eve, saying Eve from the seed of a woman is going to come one that's going to bruise the head of the serpent. Now that was God who foreknew already what He was going to do maybe 4,000 years thereabouts in the future. And how beautifully 
that that, how correct that that was, why wouldn't you say the seed of a man? Because he's not coming from a man. The Spirit is going to come upon a woman and Jesus is going to be the seed of a woman as far as mankind is concerned. The seed of a man's not involved. So God foreknew all things and whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. To predestinate, to limit in advance, to predetermine. So God, in His infinite knowledge, saw His elect, and those that were His elect, He predestinated to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. He predestinated that they would hear the gospel, that the Spirit would enlighten them, that they would be drawn to the Savior, and that God would make a new creature out of them. God determined that beforehand. Now if He didn't, then it's all left up to chance, wouldn't you say? Whether I make it or not, whether I'm going to go to the service or not, where I'm going to live at, whether I take this job or that job, it's all up to what I do. That'd be a bad thing, wouldn't it? If there was a checklist that I didn't know about that I had to do in order for me to be brought into this salvation. But you know, God ordered and directed my life before I was even aware of it. A beautiful verse in the book of Ruth. Now Ruth comes from Moab. She don't know anybody in Israel except for Naomi. And she says, I'm going to go out and glean today, Naomi. And Naomi says, go ahead. And she goes out and the Bible says her hat was to fall on a piece of ground that belonged to Boaz. Now that word hap, it means by chance. It's a gamble. And in Ruth's eyes now, as Ruth went out, she's walking, she doesn't know who belongs to what, and she says, well, this field over here, it looks like the best. Those look like some decent young men out there working. I think I'm just going to go in that field. And by her looking at it, It was by chance. She had no idea what she was doing. But God's hand is there directing her right to where she needed to be that she could be redeemed. You see that? That was God directing her in her decision that she was completely unaware of. It was just by chance. But it wasn't by chance. God don't leave it up to chance. His redeemed will without fail be redeemed. They will be. It's already been determined. I I hate it. I hate that it's so disliked in our world today, that thought. But it is. That that is what this verse says. He conformed, to, to be conformed to the image of His Son. Now an important thing to see now It's not predestinated to be saved. Though that is true. He doesn't say it like that. He says they are predestinated to be conformed to the image of the Son. So he is implying there a change of life. And I think the the hardest thing that you find and the the greatest uh, resistance to this doctrine... to to this scripture that you'll find with man is, well, you're just saying that the church can live how they want to, that we don't really have to pray, that we don't have to preach, that we don't have to meet. And you're saying that the lost, they don't have to do anything either, but that everybody's just going to be saved because God predetermined it. And that's not true. The church, the church has to meet. You know why? Because God's conformed them to the image of the Son. And if we say we're not going to meet anymore, God will lead us alive in the inward man. Paul said, Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. 
Jeremiah, who said I quit, said it was a fire shut up within my bones and I could not stay. Elijah, who ran for cover from Jezebel, in just a day or two, God turned him around and brought him back. And Jonah, who said, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm not going to preach to those people. In just a day or two, God brought him to Nineveh. See, it ain't up to man. The church can't help but live for God. The church can't help but pray. The church can't help but gather and the church can't help but love the gospel because God done a work in them and conformed them to the image of the Son of God. And the thought now is that, well, we're going to do this and that and the other and we're going to have revival and that's going to get our people saved. That is the wrong reason for the church to serve God. You know why the church serves God? Because God saved her and loved her first and made a new creature out of her and out of the heart, the church that's born again has a desire to serve God whether people are saved or not. You're going to quit if they don't? You can't quit. You can't quit. This is God's work. It's predetermined. And notice this as well. There is no salvation without a new creature. Because it's predetermined. God already determined that those that He called, those that He saved, that they would be conformed to the image of the Son. That God would regenerate and make a new creature with new desires, new wants, and new loves that was never there before. It's not up to man to do better. God brings that out of man by His power. That He might be firstborn among many brethren. Now God is not bringing His Son into this world to give His life I realize we can say it nonchalantly a lot of times, but He was the beloved Son of God. He was the only begotten Son. God said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God loved the Son. And the Son loved God the Father. And God was not going to send His Son to sacrifice his life with hope that maybe by chance, by some mistake of man, that somebody might believe it one day. Absolutely not. Not by chance. By direction of God, God gave his son with a people in his mind that he was going to redeem by his foreknowledge and by him determining beforehand. God already had it in mind who He was saving as He sacrificed His Son that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. God knew that people were going to believe and be saved. You know how He knew that? Because He ordered it and directed it. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. So that word called in this verse, it means to call properly aloud. So to call aloud. Those that he's predestinated, them he also called. So there is a calling, a calling aloud, if you'll have it by the definition of that word, that goes specifically to those that have been predestinated. Now here's another problem. See, man thinks, well, if I get up and preach this morning, everybody here's got the same chance to come to Jesus and be saved. But that's not true. I believe people that are saved, I believe they know better than that. Because I know that I sat under preaching before I was saved, and the truth, I, I couldn't come to God. Because that calling wasn't there. See, man wants to pressure. 
Man would like to convince. Man might even call by name. Man might come and say, listen, bud, you, you need to do something. Man may do all of those things. Thinking in his mind, well, anybody can come at any time and they've all heard and they've all got that chance. But you know, really, when, when could you really come to God and be saved? When th- there was a calling. And it was, it was different than just hearing preaching in a church somewhere. There was a calling... And the word that's used in our day is an effectual calling. I, I like a quickening call. So there was a calling that came that wasn't just the voice of a man, but the power of God was working in the heart of that individual that was called. An awakening, a quickening, a drawing, an effectual call unto those as it was predestinated and foreordained by God. Those that He foreordained, those that He determined beforehand, He called them. Now how did He call them? Well, you know, I I might say, well, I'm going to call Vaughn. And I can call his cell phone. I could call his house phone. I could call his wife's cell phone. I could call Josh's cell phone. Get a hold of him in any of those ways. But you know how I'm going to call him? I'm going to call the number that I choose. When I pull him up in my phone, it's going to say home, sale. I'm going to pick the number and that's the way that I'm going to call him. I determined that. Well, now God's calling. Who determines how God's going to call? Well... In the same way that I determined how I'm calling, God determined how He was going to call. So how's God going to call His elect? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we've looked at this scripture before, so just bear with me for a minute. Let's look at it one more time. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 13. I'm going to start down in the middle of the verse. Because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. So you see what we're reading in Romans. And let's put Romans together with this. Same writer, the Holy Ghost, wrote both through the hand of Paul the Apostle. So Paul's saying to the church at Thessalonica, God from the beginning chosen you to salvation. Well, there he is the foreknowledge and the predetermination of God. God foreknew them and chose them to receive this salvation in Jesus Christ. And God chose that they would receive this salvation through sanctification of the Spirit, the purifying of the Spirit. So the Holy Ghost comes to that individual and purifies them. And when I think of that... What were we polluted with? Certainly sin was polluted, but deception. I think there is the the greatest need of purifying. If a soul's going to be saved, he must come, as Kevin already said, to the understanding of the truth. And outside of the truth, people are in a lie. So the Spirit then here is purifying them and belief of the truth. And that soul believes the truth of the Word of God about themselves and about the work that God performed in Jesus Christ for their salvation. How are they going to believe the truth? Sanctification of the Spirit. This is the way that God chose for His elect to receive salvation. Verse 14 now, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, now look, God's determined this even from before the foundation of the world. This was determined. And God used me and my preaching 
to call you. That's the way God works. He says in Romans chapter 1, we covered it, it's been a long time ago I realize, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to them that believe it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the means that God chose to call man. The gospel, the preaching of the word. Now God could have God could have used lightning to call man. God could have used animals to call man. God could have chose to appear in angel form to call man. But this is what God chose. You know how the elect's going to be saved? Through the preaching of the Word of God, sanctification of the Spirit, and belief of the truth. And that is because God determined that was the way that it was going to be done. Not because man came up with that. That was the plan of God. In Galatians, I believe we can see in Paul's personal testimony, you can see Galatians chapter number 1, verse number 14. Let's back up to 13. For ye have heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceeding zealous of the tradition of my fathers. Paul's testimony of him before he was saved. I was a Jew. I was extremely zealous of that religion. Even under the place that I persecuted the church of Christ and wasted it. That's what Paul was before he was saved. But listen to verse 15. But when it pleased God... So now we've got a comma again. We're going to have a phrase inside of commas. It's adding information. It's not a part of the main sentence, but it's added there for information. Who separated me from my mother's womb. So Paul says of himself that even from his mother's womb, God had determined what Paul was going to be. Before there was faith, before Paul done anything good, Paul's testifying that he was wicked and sinful and rebellious, and certainly he was. You would agree with that. But God had determined, even from his mother's womb, we could look at Jeremiah. God spoke to Jeremiah when he was a child, said, I chose you in your mother's womb, and even before that I knew you. See, God, God's not waiting on me to do something. God's already determined what's going to be done. Now listen to what he says. Who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Now there's the end of the comma. So let's look at it together then. And I'm not trying to change the word of God. But let's just leave out the commas and let's look. But when it pleased God to reveal his son in me. When did Paul get called? When God determined that Paul would get called. He says on over in Galatians chapter 4, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son. Now, you can look at that. It's Jesus when He was born. God determined when Jesus was going to be born. As well as us, He chose when He was going to reveal His Son unto us. So back to Romans now. Whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. Look at the way that that's worded. Do you see any of these that are called that did not receive salvation? Those that He predestinated, He called them. And them that He called, He justified. Looks to me like God's got a perfect record and without fail, He has delivered 
every one of his elect that he's called. But now wait a minute. You've got Scripture. For many are called, but few are chosen. So who's receiving it? The chosen are. I mean, that's what the Bible says. Though the calling goes out, and there is a calling that goes out, the gospel goes out, and it falls on every year in the house. The gospel at a funeral, maybe there's a house full of people at a funeral that doesn't hear the gospel regularly. And a man gets up and preaches not a foolish lie, but a man gets up and preaches the gospel and the calling goes out. You know what's going out? Knowledge and understanding. Understanding that man ought to be saved. Understanding that there's judgment after this life. Understanding that if I'm not born again, I'm not going to heaven. That knowledge has went out. The majority, if not all, of our community and family, they know or have heard every bit of that in their life. And they could answer your questions if you asked them. But boy, people haven't come to that. Why hasn't people come to that? Because without God effectually working in their heart by the Spirit of God, they can't come to that. Our gospel's hid to them that are lost because the God of this world has blinded their minds. So see, there's a, there's a general call, if you want to call it that. And God Himself says in the Old Testament that the heavens declare and the creation, God's handiwork, shows the glory of God. There's enough knowledge in what God made by His power to bring man to a realization that there must be a higher power of some sort in control of everything. Now we're living in a day of high intelligence. Great intelligence. But you know something? They've never been able to tell you how it all began. Well, there was a big bang. Well, it came from a little mass. No matter how far back they go, well, how did that get there? Well, we don't know. We don't know how. It was just there. That don't work. That don't fly. If you can't tell me the whole story, I have a hard time believing it. But we know. We know the truth. We know the revelation of God. It's not by man, but whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified. So to render as righteous innocent, those that God called, He justified them. And now if God justifies, the meaning of the word is to be right or innocent. That God declares those that He's called as being innocent before Him, pure and without guilt. Now that sounds like reconciliation to me. Sounds like God has, through His plan, brought together Him and His church, once again, in perfection. We'll, we'll look more at that in just a minute. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. So not just justification, with that glorification, and I realize that is taken a lot of times for what's in the future. Well, we're going to be glorified. We're going to receive a glorified body. But if you look at the, the words here, whom He justified, that's past tense, them He also, not He will, but them He also glorified, that's past tense as well. All of this has already been done. And the truth is, the work was done before the foundation of the world, when Jesus got up, the Bible says we got up with Him. This work was finished by God before we ever did anything. And yet, 
Them He also glorified. This glorification, now it's not anything about appearance or person, but God moved in to those that He redeemed and dwells in them by the Spirit of God. God glorified them by blessing them with His eternal presence in their life. That treasure in an earthen vessel. What shall we then say to these things? So what's the conclusion of all this? If God has from the beginning chosen, if God called effectually, if God drew us and justified us, if God glorified us, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? If this is God's work, then who's going to stop God from completing His work? So you think about God now and just what in the Word we have that God is over. In Mark chapter 5, you see the story of Legion who was filled with devils and God had power over the devils. And I want you to know this now. The devil's not some uncontrollable beast that's out here doing everything that he wants to do. And he's free to do it. The devil is a created being that God made and that God gives authority and that God gives power and that God takes power and that God takes authority from. The devil cannot act outside of God allowing him to act. He is very much on a chain. And in the end, God's going to cast him into the lake of fire as well. So God had power over the devils, had power over the weather, even the winds and seas obey him. The animals, God sent the devils into the swine and run them off a steep place. But you can look in Noah's day, God brought those animals onto the ark as He saw fit to bring them. You can look in Balaam's day, He took Balaam's ass and spoke to him. And when the cock crew, He spoke to Peter. God's got power over the animals. The nations and land. Now here's something else that man don't like, but it's just the Word of God. In Jeremiah chapter number 27. I have made the earth, this is verse 5, I have made the earth, the man and the beast that are upon the ground by my great power and by my outstretched arm and have given it unto whom it seemed meet unto me. God says I made it all and I give it to who I see fit. Who you are, what you are, none of that matters. I'm determining what's happening. Now listen to what he says. And now have I given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. God says I'm giving all of the land, all of the beasts, and all of man to serve Nebuchadnezzar. God determined... The strength of his army did not determine that. How smart he was as a general did not determine that. God said, I'm giving everything to Nebuchadnezzar. God does with it as he pleases. Man thinks, well, this nation will never fall. Belshazzar thought that. And in one night, Babylon fell. All of that God had given to Nebuchadnezzar, God took it from Belshazzar and gave it to the Medes and the Persians. God did that. God's in control of the nations and the lands. He says in Colossians, thrones, dominions, principalities and powers, they were all created by Him and for Him. So disease in John chapter number 9 
John chapter 9, verse number 3. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. So the question was, why was this man born blind? Did he do something? Did his parents? Well, God's in control of that as well. He was born blind for this this purpose, that this day I could heal him and the witness of that go through Jerusalem. So God's in control of disease. He's in control of death. It's appointed unto men once to die. After this, the judgment. In Job 14.5, Thou hast set his bounds. He will not pass over it. You know who determines when man's going to die? So God then, if God's got all this control, and here's a good question, how much control does God have? Is it complete? Is God in complete control of everything? Think about how contradictory that that statement is to what you hear from pulpits and from preachers and from church members. Lord help, God's in control. God's guiding and directing everything after the counsel of His will. And if this God that's in control of everything and that all subject to Him, even the devils are subject to Him, even the winds and seas obey, even He can come to a dead man and get him up four days after he died. If all things are obedient and subject to Him, if this God says, you're forgiven and justified, then tell me what's going to overrule that God. Can my sin overrule that God? Can the vote of man overrule that God? So you talk about secure and safe in Christ. Those that are saved have a salvation that they cannot lose because, not because of me, but because of this God, if He be for us, who shall be against us? In Isaiah 54, Isaiah 54, verse number 17, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. So when God does something, there is no arguing with God, is there? There's no one that has authority to overrule God's judgment. Because I don't like it, that does not change God. Because I somehow fail, that does not change God. When God justifies, who can overrule? Is there any? Let's look now back in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So if God then, by his foreknowledge and predetermination, decided that for you to be saved, he was going to send his own son and sacrifice him for our redemption, if God loved that much to give that kind of sacrifice for our sins, what would He withhold from His church? Would He not with Him also freely give us all things? Would He not be with us even unto the end of the world? Is the devil going to somehow come in and throw a wrench in what God's done for us? Can the devil hinder or stop the work that God's doing? Can the evil of the world prevent God from saving His elect? 
Is there anything going to stop God? Because I'm going to tell you, if the condition of the world has anything to do with people being saved, then I'd be wringing my hands in fear for my children's sake. Would it not look at the condition that our world is in? Look at what is supported by the majority of the United States of America. Sickening. Lies and deceit and rebellion against God on every hand and everywhere you look. And it's promoted everywhere as well. It'd be a, it'd be a day to wring hands and worry and fear and what am I going to do for them? We've got to protect them. We've got to shield them. And may God help me to do all that I can. But thank God that I don't have to wring my hands wondering how they're going to be saved because by the power of God, if God's for us, who's going to stop God from completing the work that He's got to do? You talk about secure, steadfast, and the church can stand in that and on that in the midst of a wicked hour, trusting the power of God, He's going to complete His work that He's already determined and already, it's, it's predestined, He's already predestinated it to be as it is. Remember, God's, God's going to bring our world to a place of judgment one day. God's going to destroy the wickedness of this world. So in Isaiah chapter number 53, and we're almost out of time. We've got just another minute or two. I realize this is very familiar Scripture. Isaiah 53 verse number 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. There's a lot said right there. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. God was pleased with his son being beaten and bearing the punishment for my sin and for your sin. God is pleased that He's bearing sins for our redemption. Now you talk about a love there. Look at the love that God had for those that He would save and deliver. And He says on down, When thou shalt make His soul an offering for sin, He shall see His seed. So who's He seeing? He's speaking of the man that's being sacrificed. I believe we can confidently say in everyone's mind that Jesus is who he's talking about. Jesus sees his seed when he's being made an offering for sin. What's Jesus looking at? The church. He's already... You mean, you mean to tell me that when he was on the cross, he saw us here? Saved and born again even then? You're telling me it wasn't predetermined? No, he knew why he was dying. He knew he was dying for you. He did. It was already predetermined. So he says then, He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord, the desire of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. What's being accomplished? The pleasure of the Lord is being accomplished. Not what I want to do. Not what pleases me. He's accomplishing the work and the will of God. In 2 Corinthians 5, the Bible says that He made Him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin. So He took the sinless Savior, made Him to be sin, 
in our place, God substituted Jesus in punishment for our sins and iniquities that we could be redeemed. And God substituted the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ onto those that He would redeem. A complete and a perfect work for justification. So then, would He not freely give us all things? If you'll remember a while back, uh, we looked on a Wednesday night, maybe it was a Sunday night, in Luke, about praying, asking you shall receive. And He says, those that pray for the Spirit. Well, now there, that ought to be the object of prayer for the church is that we would have the leadership, the power, the understanding of the Spirit. In John chapter 14, verse 26, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So what peace is God giving that will prevent me from being troubled or being afraid? His Spirit. There is where our peace, there's where our rest is. It's in that that He's provided, that as He says in 1 Corinthians, that you may be able. Paul says in another place, Christ hath enabled me. And he tells Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians again, he says, my grace is sufficient so that that presence of the Spirit is able to strengthen and enable me to live and move and have my being in this world providing the need that I have to go through this life without fear, without trouble, without worry. It's, it's Christ's peace that He left. In, uh, back in Romans, and we're out of time. We, we better stop right there. So any, anybody got anything you'd like to say? This work of salvation, it's not, it wasn't a cheap work. It wasn't well God wanted to do it and He cut every corner to get it done. And it wasn't a work that well God wanted to save them and so He just lifted the rug and swept everything under there for them. God paid a great price that this redemption could be had. God gave His Son, Jesus, that we could be delivered. God guaranteed, guaranteed, by His grace, the salvation of those that come to Him by the calling of Christ. Thank God for it.